feel surrounded as we sing, this is how I fight my battles. I felt hopeless several years ago. My mom called me and said, Sam, a tree has fallen on your father. Said, I can't get to him in the woods, but they're bringing a helicopter, and it doesn't look good. I remember driving a little over the speed limit towards Tyler and calling the hospital, and I said, hey, is there any report? And they confirmed what my mom said, a tree fell on your father doesn't look good. I remember walking into the hospital room and seeing my father's body after it had been crushed, most of his ribs broken, both lungs punctured, one collapsed, clavicle, bones in his back. I felt hopeless. Now, when I say hope, our world has hijacked the Bible word for hope. Our, our, our word for hope is like wishful thinking. I hope the Rangers will win this afternoon. So I had wishes related to my dad. I, I hope my father will get better. The Bible's word for hope is a confident expectation in the future. And I felt hopeless. Remember those first few days in the hospital also just feeling helpless, like I can't do anything, right, to help make this better. I'll come back to the story when I land the plane here today, but I don't know what's happening in your life right now where you're trying to find hope. I don't, I don't know the battle that you're facing. Where for you, maybe there's some wishful thinking around a relationship. Maybe there's for you wishful thinking when it comes to your appearance or uh, your money or uh, your popularity. Or I, I don't, I don't, but maybe it's more than that. I spoke after the first hour with a family who said, hey, we're leaving in a few hours to go to Mayo Clinic. Maybe for you it's health. I want to give you to today, in fact, let me just say it this way, I don't think I can give you today. I want God, through his word, to give you biblical hope. Confident expectation in future. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Daniel chapter 2. If you're new, we usually just walk through a book of the Bible. For me, it's like that far forward. It's in the Old Testament. It's a little past halfway. There's a table of contents. 
in the front of the Bible. If you don't have one with you, there should be a black one in the pew there in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give that to you. You can also find it digitally. If you're online, we invite you to do that also in your living room, but not if you're driving. Please do not read while you drive. Fast forward as you're finding Daniel 2 of what we've seen so far. The people of Israel were rebelling against God. They were in a covenant relationship with God. God had told them, if you do this, you're going to go into exile. In fact, he told them that it was Babylon that was going to take them into exile if they did not repent and turn, and yet they continued in their sin. And so God sends Babylon, this incredibly corrupt culture, to overtake his people because God disciplines those he loves, and Babylon pulls the first of three, actually, different groups of exiles into Babylon. And in that group were Daniel, Shadrach, say, what's his three friends' names? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are their Babylonian names. Yes, they, they're taken into exile. And then Babylon does what Babylon does, the world tries to do. They try to indoctrinate them in order to assimilate them. We read about that a few weeks ago, but Daniel and his friends decide they're going to be different. They're going to set themselves apart, which is what holy means, and they do it in a very humble way. They, they don't rebel against the authorities. They respectfully stand up for what they believe, and God honors that. End of chapter 1, they are raised up as key wise men in Babylon. There's this bad king, his name is, yeah, yeah, say it again, Nebuchadnezzar, there we go, yes, Nebuchadnezzar, chapter 2 begins with this bad king having a bad dream, it, just, he, it makes him worried, and so he gets the wise men that were around him, and apparently Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't right there in that group when he first tells this group, he says, I want you to tell me my dream and what it means, and the wise men said, King, if you tell us your dream, we'll tell you what it means. And he says, no. If you're really supernatural guys, I want you to tell me the dream and what it means. And if you don't, I will tear you limb from limb and I will destroy your homes. And read the rest of the book of Daniel. He meant it. Daniel hears about this. And Daniel decides to do what? Do y'all remember what he does first with him and his friends? He prays. Yes, he goes and he seeks God. Uh, and then he's going to stand up. First profession of his faith in the real God happens in chapter 2. But we talked last week about how that started. His public profession started in private prayer. Then he goes to the king and he says, King, I don't know what your dream is or what the dream means, but God does and he told me. So that's where we are. Today, we're going to get to hear this dream. Here's the outline uh, that I want to bring to you today. I want you to see what he dreamed, what it means, and how this can bring you hope. So if you're here in the room, you're battling, you're surrounded, you feel hopeless, I want you to see this crazy dream, what it means, and how this can bring you hope. In order to honor God's word, we do this often. I want to invite you to stand, and I'm going to start reading. Daniel's going to tell him what he dreamed. This is crazy, right? The king had a dream. He has not told Daniel, 
God told Daniel, now Daniel's going to tell the king what he dreamed. Verse 31. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold. Its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet, it's partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. God's word. Now we're going to pray. I'm going to invite you just to humble yourself before God. If you're able to kneel, I invite you to that. If that's uncomfortable, you can just sit down. We believe that what can happen in this moment is supernatural, that God can use the Holy Spirit to use his word to help you right now. So I'm going to invite you to ask God to help you in whatever area that you're battling hopelessness in. Just confess that to him, talk to him about your hopelessness and ask him to help you. Now, would you, would you also pray for me that, that the Holy Spirit would help me? That I could communicate his word truthfully in, in a way that would be helpful to you and to me. Thank you. You can be seated. So what did he dream? Well, he just told us what he dreamed, and conveniently, uh, our communications team found a statue online. It's amazing what Amazon has of what this guy dreamed. And so I'm, I'm going to just show you, right, uh, the king had this dream of a statue. Now, I, I, when I first held this in my hands, I thought, I'd like to thank the academy, like... I, <laughs> I do not think it was this large. Why? Well, chapter 3, the next chapter, this king is going to build a huge statue. And so we think that he may have used this possibly as his model. The statue in chapter 3 is going to be 90 foot tall. It says in this dream it was frightening to him. The crown stained glass up there is 55 foot above you if you're on the bottom floor. Okay? 90 foot tall. This is a big statue. Okay? If, now the dream, we don't know for sure that the dream's one was that big, but the one he built is, it was frightening. Has a head of gold, put it down here, has a head of gold, has chest that's silver, 
as it goes down, it gets less valuable. You see that? Center is bronze, legs, steel, feet mixed with steel and clay. And then out of nowhere, it seems, the stone hits the feet of the statue. And when it hits the feet of the statue, the feet crumble and then the stone starts to grow and it literally takes over everything. I don't know where that camera angle is. There we go. Yeah, whoop. There we go. Takes over everything. This is what he dreamed. All right. So glad we came to church today. All right. What does it mean? God told Daniel what it means. Before I, I read here what it, what it means, God's interpretation through Daniel, some of it is going to be very plain. Uh, some of it is still not fully plain. Uh, we're going to teach a lot of apocalyptic, prophetic literature the last half of the book of Daniel. And here's what I want you to hear from me. What I desire to do is to, in especially the apocalyptic literature, but everything else, to make the plain things the main things. In this room, so many of you have said, I'm so excited to go through the book of Daniel. And you need to know, in this room, there are people who see the not plain things differently. And that's good you're actually helping me, you're stretching me, and that's good for a body to be together that looks at things as different perspectives. Y'all see what I'm saying? But when we teach this, and it'll be, again, especially important in the second half of the book, my desire is to make the main things out of the plain things. Y'all see where I am, okay? So here we go. Let's see what Daniel says, verse 36. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory. Who gave him the power, the might, and the glory again? Who was it? God. He's in control. Verse 38, and into whose hands he has given, making that point again, Wherever they dwell, the children of men, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making your rule over all of them, you are what? The head of gold. All right, King Babylon, you're the head of gold. Verse 39. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth, and there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things, and like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, after this fourth kingdom, there's going to be a fifth one here now that is divided, partly of potter's clay, partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom but some of the firmness of iron shall be in it just as you saw iron mixed with soft clay and as the toes and of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle verse 43 and you saw the iron mixed with the soft clay so they will mix with one another in marriage but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with 
with clay. I'm going to stop here for just a second. And again, I want to show you what I think is fairly plain and then also include in it some of what my view is of the other potential ways to interpret. All right, so here we go. He says that you have, O king, you are the head of gold, but there are going to be kingdoms after you that will follow you. And he gives him three more world powers And then one more after that makes a total of five, counting the head, that will be a divided kingdom. Well, guess what? What God said would happen to the king through his dream and through Daniel's interpretation, 600 A.D. has played out. Babylon, head of gold... World power following Babylon, Persia, chest of silver, following Persia, Greeks, bronze, or maybe your Bible might use the word brass, depending on the interpretation, the middle section there, followed by the legs of iron. Interesting, there are left and right leg, just like East and West, still in our world, we point back to that as feet now. The East and West, we're Western culture connecting us to Rome. And then finally, by the way, almost all conservative Christian theologians agree on those top four. The one down low, the feet, different people will disagree around what the feet actually symbolize. And I kind of played my hand uh, months ago, if you've been in our church, in saying that I believe most biblical prophecy actually has double fulfillment. Y'all remember talking about this? Some will argue that the feet that get crushed by this stone were the nations that were around in Rome when the church shows up. And just like Jesus says on this rock, the confession of Christ, when he's talking to Peter, whose name literally means rock, I'm going to build my church. Some people see that those feet were what was around when Jesus shows up and then the church has now overtaken the world, which is currently happening. I believe, yes, that's part of the interpretation, but I also see all over the place in the Bible, Romans not Romans, sorry, Revelation, hello. Revelation twice tells us there are going to be ten world powers like there are ten toes. When Jesus comes back, as we continue in the book of Daniel, we'll see that the one who represents the Antichrist will be this beast with ten horns like ten toes. So I actually believe, and again people believe differently, but I believe that there is a real kingdom that is going to reign with Jesus as king here on earth in our future. Now, all Christians believe in an eternity, but I believe in a millennial reign of Christ that's coming. And so I believe this divided kingdom prophecy we see all over scripture is what we are starting to see play out in the world today. Is this what it means? Hey, let me side note and say, people that don't believe the Bible has supernatural power. 
look at the prophecy that is going to get more and more clear in chapter 7 and 8. Like in chapter 7 and 8, he's going to talk about Persia, Greece, and Rome in such detail that people will look at this Bible and they'll say, that could not have been written 600 A.D. They struggle a little bit because we now have, through finding, excuse me, there was a bug in my Bible, through finding... Through finding the scrolls, y'all know at Qumran, that okay, we can't date it before Christ, so they're, they're forced to date it around the time of Greece, and so Rome has not yet showed up on the scene, they know that, so they have to find another world power, and so they put, when Persia was in power, there was another uh, large power, but was really under the control of Persia, called Media, and they try to put Media, the Medes, as a world power. Well... <laughs> Specifically, that one in the line of his, uh, his description is the one who's going to rule over all the earth. And that's not what media did. They did not ever really have power, and they were definitely not ruling over all the earth. Instead, Greece, when Greece shows up, who was the great leader of Greece? Y'all know? Alexander the Great, who conquered the known world at the time. He lines up perfectly with the prophecy, you cannot force it in the future and make it make sense. So what does it mean? Well, I'm going to keep going because I think the main thing I haven't gotten to yet. Verse 44. And in the days of the, those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand, how long? Forever. For all of you sandlotters out there. Forever. It's a long time. Verse 45. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke into pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. This dream is certain and its interpretation what? Sure. Okay. Confident expectation. This dream. So what does he say? He says in the end there's going to be a stone that's going to hit the feet and this kingdom that is going to take over is literally going to grow in size to destroy all that was left of the other world powers is what he says. And you know the prophecy of this is all over the Bible. It's all over the Bible. Jesus actually three times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he says, hey, that there's a Psalms verse that a lot of you are holding on to right now. It was part of the Hallel Psalms where there was going to be a stone that the builders would reject that would become the cornerstone. Y'all remember this? Uh, he, he talks to religious leaders. He says, you read Psalms, there was a stone that would be rejected that's going to be the cornerstone. In our English Bibles, we don't really have the description of what that was talking about. So what I'm going to tell you now is actually not in the Bible, so it may not actually be fully true. But in the Jewish historic documents, they tell us that when Solomon was building the temple, there was a cornerstone that was huge that was sent to him. Now we do know that's true because it's there. There's a cornerstone that you can still go see in the Temple Mount that is over 500 tons. 
But Solomon got the stone, his builders, and it didn't match the other stones. It didn't line up. So they actually rejected it. They threw it in a pile. They get all the other stones and they start to try to fit these other stones that were more like together. But if you've ever done a Lego project and you don't have the key piece, it doesn't work. And so they tried to put it together and it didn't work. And they sent to the, 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 the message over to the people that were cutting the stones and they said they don't fit together. And they said, did you put the cornerstone in? They said, oh. So then they go and get this stone and they put it back in place and then all the rest of the rocks fit together. And Jesus says, guess what? The stone, religious leaders, that you reject is going to become the cornerstone. He also, Luke brings it up twice in the Luke narrative. Luke then directly relates it to Daniel chapter 2 in verse 17 through 18 of chapter 20 in Luke. He says, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Directing, direct, what, what is he saying? Jesus, Jesus However you want to interpret prophecy, in the end, there's a real kingdom and a real king, right? His name is Jesus. He is the Christ, the Son of God, right? In his love and by his grace, he lived a perfect life, died in our place, rose again, and he will return, I believe, reign on earth. We know reign forever. What does that mean? Repent, believe, follow, and be part of his kingdom now and forever. All right, there's what it means, I believe. So how, how can that bring you hope today? Interestingly, the news is actually bad news for the king. Your kingdom is going to end, you gold head. But the king, in response, worships God, Daniel, he's not going to actually repent and turn to God, we know in the story, he continues to be a bad king. But he recognizes something supernatural is going on here. What? Okay. How can this bring you hope? Told you before, this is the theme of the book of Daniel. But I want to try to push hard on it a little bit for a few minutes. God is in control. God is in control. It may feel like you're surrounded you may have just gotten a diagnosis that says you're going to die. God is in control. This chapter plays out in such a supernatural way that not only do we see that God is in control of the present, we see that God is in control of the future, don't we? He tells Daniel what the king dreamed and what it means, and he tells through that what is going to take place in the future. He says this dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. It may seem like to you right now that the world is spinning out of control. It is not. There is a great God, Daniel says, into verse 35, 45. There is a great God who is in control. 
this God who loved the world so much to send his only son, nothing, nothing happens apart from his control. Does that mean everything is good? No. But you know what the Bible tells us? That God is going to work all things together for good for those who know him, right, and are called according to his purpose, Romans 8. Some people think, okay, again, not everything is good. It's not what it says. He's going to work all things together for good for those that know him. What is this good? His good may not be for you. It may not be that your dad gets well. My father texted me during the first service. I didn't finish the story. He's still alive. Praise God. But I cannot promise you that. I cannot promise you biblical hope related to your health tomorrow. I cannot. But I can promise you that God is in control of it. And guess what? If he's a great God, he's going to work it all. What's the good he's working out? Romans 29, 8, not 29, wow, you're leaving church tomorrow. Romans 8, 29, after that verse, says that, what is he working? He's conforming us to the image, what, of his son, Jesus. Not an image that's an idol. The only thing that you and I should worship for Jesus. He is conforming us. He's working in your life. God is in control. He is in control. Commentary writer, theologian, pastor Warren Wearsby writes these words. When we look at Daniel chapter 2, our response ought to be one of joyful confidence. How can that be with this being bad news to the king? We get to know that the Lord has everything under his control. And will one day reign on this earth. While God's people should do everything they can to alleviate suffering, to make this a safer and happier world, our hope is not in laws. Our hope is not in political alliances. Our hope is not in moral crusades. Our hope is in the Lord. And we can have a confident expectation, church. If our God is in control of what is coming in our future. Y'all with me so far? Maybe you heard it this way. I heard this sermon several times growing up. I don't know what the, adding a word, short-term future holds. But I do know who holds what? The future. You've heard that sermon before? And he is a great God, and he is in control. Y'all with me? Okay, how can this bring hope? Second point here. Christ will make all things right. Maybe not tomorrow. Christ will make all things right in the end. Students, I don't know right now if in your heart you're hurting. Maybe you had a peer that, that, that just turned their backs on you recently and you're grieving. I can't promise you you're going to have a better friend tomorrow than that friend was. But I can promise you that in the end, Jesus is going to make all things right. This is what the, the main thing, I think, in this story. Guess what? 
all of the earthly kingdoms are going downhill. It moves from gold to silver to bronze to steel. You all see this. And then to steel mixed with clay. Uh, some like, okay, ah, so much that, I w- that we could talk about related to that. But not everything's going downhill. In the end, Jesus shows up and he's this perfect kingdom where he will wipe every tear away from every eye. I I can promise you, your eternal health, if you know Jesus, is really good. Right? Christ will make all things right in the end. Now, even the king, when he hears this bad news, turns to first worship Daniel and then through Daniel, God is the real God. And he didn't know it would... We now get to look back. Watch this, church. Everything, as we continue through Daniel, it is going to be radical how specific God is with his prophecy. And everything he's said was going to happen to this point has happened exactly like he said it would. The head, the chest, the middle part, the, the, the iron, the, even the feet of iron and clay. Like right now, do you all know the Western world, our culture right now, our, our laws, we really come from Roman laws. Our court system comes from the Roman court system. Our national symbol comes from the Roman court. We're part of the Western world that was connected to the Western leg of Rome, right? I mean, it's, it's crazy as you dig into all this. It's played out, which if God has been 100% on all of that prophecy, do you think you can trust him on what is coming? Yes. Now, There are people that study the prophetic literature and through the prophetic literature come to believe in God because how clear it is that this God, he's in control and guess what the, 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 the prophecy in the end is? Christ will, will, will make all things right. The Bible Project that does the Jesus videos in the end of their Daniel video, which you can get online and watch it, but you might get to see pieces of it as we walk through Daniel anyway, they point out there's a pattern in Daniel and a promise in Daniel. The pattern is that human beings are going to become beasts when they do not acknowledge God. The promise is that one day God will confront the beast and he will rescue the world. Christ will. Church, Our king is coming back. Yeah. He's going to make it all right. Everything. That's what's in our future. It's what's in your future. You can have a confident expectation. News reports. The weather this week. 100% chance of severe showers on Wednesday night. Every church in the city canceled. It didn't happen. Are you leaning on the weather? Are you leaning on the world for your hope? Are you leaning on the one that's been 100% accurate with every forecast? 
Christ will make all things right. Okay, so what do we do with that? Uh, I told a story about my generation up with dad. I'm going to go generation down for a second with my girls. I have two girls, and um, one in second grade and one who's a freshman. And so with, with that, what we can go to movies together is kind of limited. Uh, we, we went to see the Mario movie a few weeks ago. And there was a preview while we were watching uh, previews from Mario, which sometimes I wonder, do they actually screen those before they show them to all the kids? Like, it's like, whoa, preview for the next live action Disney movie. And the next live action Disney movie is, any ladies here in the room? Little Mermaid, yes. Why did this room, maybe none of the junior hires are going to watch the Little, did any of y'all want to see the new Little Mermaid? Okay, there's some hands, yes, some honest, yes, there we go. And some guys are raising their hand. I like that. Okay, here we go. Now, here, here's the deal. I'm assuming, I'm assuming that the, the live-action Little Mermaid is going to kind of follow the plot of the regular Little Mermaid, but I don't know that for sure. However, I've seen every Disney princess movie. So even if it doesn't follow the plot of the, I can tell you the plot. In fact, if you, you want, don't do it right now, but you can Google what's the plot of every Disney princess movie, and it's the same. So here we go. Here's the plot, okay? There's a tragic backstory. A villain shows up and attacks. There's a loving hero that shows up to sh save the day, but then there's conflict. But guess what? There's a sidekick to help out, and in the end, the hero wins and there's this loving relationship in happily ever after. Now, I don't think Disney's using all the money necessarily the right way right now. Let's just say that. But they're making a lot of money off of the Jesus story. And you may not, maybe you've forgotten that your story, if you know Christ, ends in happily ever after. Yes, there's conflict. You've sinned, I've sinned. That the Garden of Eden, it started, right? This is the tragic backstory. And not, it's not, doesn't stop there. It gets worse. There's a villain that showed up, right? Our enemy, the adversary. The, the Satan, Satan, some people are calling him now as they preach. It's, he's attacking you. It's happening. But guess what? There's a hero. His name is Jesus. He shows up on the scene and he died, he rose again, he hasn't over, there's conflict that's still going on, he's given you a sidekick, his name is the Holy Spirit, maybe you've never thought of a Disney sidekick that way, but it's the Holy Spirit, he's in your life, but right now what's happening is not the end. I, I cannot promise tomorrow's health, but I can promise in the end, there's a happily ever after, that the king is coming, in the Disney movie, they don't go this far, that couple gets, they, and then they die. For us, we live forever. It's awesome. We can have a confident expectation in our future. He's 100% on all prophecy, and the prophetic end is really good. So I want you to pray right now. Bow your heads. What is it that you are battling when it relates to hopelessness? Ask him how you can get your eyes off of maybe today, tomorrow, and, and, and rest in this great God who's in control and what Christ is going to make right in the end. Talk to him about that for a minute.
Thank you for joining us today for Worship Online. If you're in our area, we wanna invite you to come to physically connect to your local church. We would love to help you to live and love like Jesus alongside of others who are doing the same. If you're from outside of our area, can I challenge you to find a local church in your area that's gonna preach the Bible and exalt Jesus? Smash the like button, subscribe, share with friends, and turn on notifications if you'd like to stay up to date with us. And thanks again for joining us.